do two things. I'm going to pray in a second, but it's been a big morning. So if you want to stand up just for 10 seconds and just have a quick stretch, flex around, go for it, because that's what I'm going to do. Oh, it's better. Okay, let me pray. Father in heaven, um, please help me to uh, speak faithfully and engagingly with everyone here this morning. I pray that you would please um, encourage and challenge our hearts and that um, for those of us here who have not yet trusted in Jesus our Lord, you would please move their hearts to faith. Amen. Well, I don't know what you are expecting me to talk to you about this morning, but I want to start by talking to you about golf. Any golfers here? No, that's all right. I don't know anything about... Oh, one. I don't know anything about golf either. But uh, I want to tell you about the greatest golfer in history. You see, this man... The first time he ever picked up a set of clubs, played a round of 18 holes, 11 of the holes that he played on were holes in one. And if that, look, if that doesn't impress you, the very same man invented the hamburger. Invented the hamburger. If, the, if those two achievements don't want to make you just fall down right now and acknowledge whoever this person is as your supreme leader... Let me tell you about what happened when, when this man was born. He was born on the top of a sacred mountain. And when he was born, rainbows appeared. A bright star shot through the sky. And the seasons immediately changed from winter to spring. Who am I talking about? <laughs> Chuck Norris. <laughs> Close. <laughs> you would think Chuck Norris. I'm, of course, talking about that great hero of freedom, Kim Jong-il. Now look, if you don't believe these things, if you don't believe the facts, you can go and all check it out. It's all been documented with the North Korean news agency. They've got it all carefully archived away. Now come on. That's ridiculous, isn't it? Absolute rubbish. It's, it's just so blatantly obvious that that's just propaganda. That the, the fans, the hardcore followers of the Supreme Leader have sat around and dreamt up together. Because that's what hardcore fans do. They fictionise things. Get together and, and trump things up, exaggerate them, make up stories. And I wonder if there's a little part of you that when you're thinking about Jesus, doesn't wonder if maybe this, the same kind of thing has happened. If over time, maybe Jesus' followers have made him out to be somebody that he wasn't. Is the Jesus of history the same Jesus that Christians worship today? Or has he been fictionalised? I don't think many Aussies voice that question, but it does bubble under the surface in Aussie culture because you can see it in the SBS documentaries that pop up every now and again. Tonight, 7.30, the real Jesus. You see it in a in ABC articles that come out every now and again in the papers or um, in university lectures, if you go and study at uni. And we think that it's only recently that people have started being open-minded enough to ask these kinds of questions. We're so much more wise than people used to be. But that's not true. See, people have been doubting Jesus' followers' version of events since day one. If you've got your Bible open there, in the book of John, have a look at John 20, verse 24. 
Let me just read it a couple of verses again, verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. That is, he wasn't with the other disciples when Jesus appeared to them. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. See, Thomas wasn't stupid. He wasn't any more gullible than you or I are. In fact, living back then, chances are he'd seen ten times the number of dead bodies people like you and I have seen. Death was everywhere. It was just a part of life. And he had seen Jesus thoroughly killed, beaten to a pulp, crucified, buried, stabbed through the guts with a Roman spear, And you can see Thomas' certainty that Jesus is dead through the sarcasm of the way that he replies, can't you? Sure, Jesus is alive. I'm sure you've seen him. Bring him here. I'll put my fingers into the holes in his hands. Very funny, guys. And and that response, it's kind of understandable, isn't it? Because Thomas is grieving. The man who he admired more than anybody else has been unjustly tortured and killed. And it's also understandable because... We naturally trust our own eyes rather than other people's, especially when people come forward and tell us some kind of crazy proposition like that, that someone's come back from the dead. The problem is, sometimes other people's eyes have seen things that yours haven't. And if you don't trust them, you can end up looking like a fool. I uh, go canyoning up in the Blue Mountains once a year, um, and I try to take some new people every year. And last year... Uh, there was this guy who um, said he'd be interested, so we started preparing and I said to him, look, what you're going to need is you're going to need to um, bring an old backpack, some old shoes, and you'll need a wetsuit because the water is absolutely freezing cold. Um, you, you're not going to last very long without a wetsuit. And he said to me, oh, I reckon I'll be all right. I can handle the cold pretty well. And I said... <laughs> No, mate, it's, it's freezing, as in you won't last 10 minutes, you'll have hypothermia, and we're going to be submerged in this freezing cold water for four hours. And this is what he said to me, Jordan, I know what I'm talking about. I've seen canyons before, I'll be all right. I said, okay. So we drove up there on the day, walked down the fire trail, and um, got down to the river, jumped in. He came up gasping, <gasps> I said, is it cold? And he was like, no. Nope. <laughs> I said, you want to keep going? He's like, yep. So we kept going and 10 minutes later, his lips were blue, shaking all over. I said, we've got to get you out of here. And he said, yeah, I think you're right. So he turned around and went back. You see, he didn't, he didn't understand that I had seen this canyon. I had been in it. He just thought, Jordan doesn't know better than I do. He's just a bit excited about the canyon. He's trumped it up, selling me a fictionalised version. The water's really cold. The problem was he had never done the canyon before, and I had. So he ended up looking like the fool. I wasn't lying to him. There's only three reasons that people lie. Number one, they've just lost their mind. They're mentally not well. 
Number two, they've been tricked by somebody. Or number three, they've got something to gain out of the lie. Now let's take those three things and and come to the ten disciples and Thomas. Could the ten disciples have, have been not telling the truth to Thomas? Had they lost their mind? Well, you think about that. I'm not a doctor or anything, but ten people don't all lose their mind overnight. And even if they do, they don't all see exactly the same hallucination as each other. It's not really how these things work. And you you think, okay, well, maybe they had all just been tricked. There's some pretty clever people out there. The problem is these guys had spent three years with Jesus, day in, day out, eating with him, living with him, talking to him, watching him. They knew who Jesus was. Nobody was going to come and pull the wool over these guys' eyes. Well, okay, okay, well, but they could have all just sat around a table and just fabricated the whole thing. Let's just say we've seen Jesus back from the dead. We'll become famous. But what did they have to gain? You see, that kind of claim was just completely blasphemous in ancient Jewish culture. And in fact... As they keep saying these things, you read on the book of Acts after the book of John, they don't get famous, they get beaten up. They get ostracised by their own people. They lose out big time. Christians were the most persecuted people in the Roman Empire in the first few centuries. But what kept convincing people that they were right was that they weren't crazy, they hadn't been tricked, and they had nothing to gain. But they just kept telling people they had seen Jesus, that Jesus really had come back to life. People don't die for a lie unless they're crazy, unless they've been tricked, or or they've got something to gain. And you think, okay, well then, if that's the case, why don't more people believe the disciples' account of events, if it's so convincing? And I think the answer to that sadly, is it's just easier not to think about this stuff, isn't it? Ah, it's probably just, it's just religious stuff. It's just so much simpler. Don't think too much about it. Don't get too into it. Don't be, don't be a full-on Christian. But if you choose that path, if you choose to ignore what God has revealed through his son, Jesus, or if you decide that the disciples were lying, you need to understand the risk. And the risk is that one day you will be shown up to be a fool. Look at what happens next in verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve but believe. I don't think there would have been anything Thomas regretted more in his life than the words he chose to speak a week before this happened. Because as it turns out, Jesus isn't fan fiction. He's real. Jesus is exactly who he says he is. And you can hear Jesus' unspoken question, can't you, to Thomas? Thomas, why didn't you believe them? 
But he doesn't ask that question to Thomas because he knows Thomas doesn't have a good answer. Thomas did have good reasons to believe. Jesus had said to his disciples leading up to his death, guys, this is what's going to happen. They're going to kill me, I'm going to be buried, and then I'm going to rise again. (laughs) But his disciples just didn't believe him, didn't get it. What are you talking about, Jesus? Is this a parable? And if Thomas had thought it through, his friends had no reason to lie to him. They weren't any more gullible than he was. Jesus is who he says he is. And when Jesus showed up, Thomas found himself completely without an excuse for why he didn't believe. I'm not sure if you've ever been busted and found yourself completely without an excuse for something you've said, something you've done. Um, A few years ago, I was corresponding with somebody via email. um, And uh, this person really ticked me off. (laughs) Just their personality, the way they communicated. They were pretty pretty senior in, um, in the circles that I was working in. But they just wouldn't get to the point I wanted them to get to. I'm a pretty blunt kind of guy. Just give me the bottom line. And this person was just talking circles around me in these emails. And so in my genius, what I did is I forwarded this, one of the emails this guy had sent to me to a colleague of mine and just said, look at this load of rubbish. Look at the, look at the rubbish that this guy's putting me through. I can't believe this, blah, 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 blah. What an idiot, da, da, da. Send. And you know who I sent it to? I sent it to the person who I'd written all those things about. (laughs) You know that sinking feeling? It was awful. And the the follow-up was awful as well. I had to meet up with this guy and my boss was there and it was just a very terrible experience. I had to apologise to him. That sinking feeling. If you know that feeling that I'm talking about, understand Thomas is feeling that a hundred times over. Because it's not his boss that he said something dumb about. It's Jesus Christ. And did you notice what Jesus does? He does exactly what Thomas said would have to happen in order for him to believe. A week earlier. But hang on. Jesus wasn't in the room when Thomas said that. How did he... And when Thomas starts to connect these dots when he sees Jesus alive not dead and Jesus comes and tells him put your fingers here he can only come to one conclusion Jesus is who he says he is he really is alive and the only reason that he can't die is because he's God look at verse 28 Thomas answered him my Lord and my God See, that's the right conclusion. Who else has power over death except God? Who else is so beyond time and space that they can hear a conversation in a locked room without being present and sharp a week later meeting the demands that somebody has made of them? Jesus is who Thomas says he is. He is who his disciples said he was. He is who Christians are still saying today he is. 2,000 years later, Jesus is alive. Right now, he's present with us by his spirit. This isn't fan fiction. It's not not fairy tales. So what? 
So what if Jesus is alive somewhere? What does that, what does that mean for any of us? Well, what it means, if he is Lord and God, is that he's Lord over your life. He has authority over your life. You are not the Lord of your life. Jesus Christ is. And the question isn't, is Jesus going to come and get me one day? The question is, when he does, are you going to be ready? You will acknowledge Jesus as the Lord of your life. And the only question is, will you acknowledge him willingly or unwillingly? Now, that sounds scary, doesn't it? It sounds pretty fundamentalist. <laughs> it sounds scary because when we think of letting some, someone be Lord over our life, we tend to think of Kim Jong-il, supreme leader. Or we think of all the bosses that we've had that have made our life hard and difficult. Or we think of anybody else who's had authority over us and hasn't always wielded it well. All of us have had mum and dads who in some way or another have failed us. Big ways, small ways. Politicians who have broken their promises. But the key difference is the way that God rules his people, the way that he lords it over his people, is not the same way that the world rules it over its people. God never breaks his promises. Jesus never fails his people. He never abuses his authority. But he always works for the good of those who love him. See, choosing not to live under Jesus' authority isn't just a foolish decision. The Bible says it's actually evil. Because if God is good, if he wants your good, and if he's saying the best thing for you is to live your life under the lordship of Jesus Christ, but instead you just keep telling him to get stuffed, <laughs> pretending that he's not real, what's, what's God going to say to you on judgment day? Why didn't you trust in my son? I didn't think it was that important. How could you think I would send my only son to die for your sins if it wasn't important? Maybe you've had that attitude your whole life of ignoring God. But you've got an opportunity to change that today if you want to. See, who here this morning has been living with Jesus as their Lord and God for more than 50 years? Is there anybody here? More than 50 years? Yep. Has it been worth it? Yep. Anybody been living with Jesus as their Lord for more than 30 years? A few others? Been worth it? More than 15 years? Anybody? Worth it so far? What about a bit more recent? Anyone more than five years? Been worth it? 100%. Jesus is who he says he is. It's worth submitting to his lordship. And let me just finish by saying this. If you haven't yet made that decision, if you haven't seen how worth it submitting your life to a good lord and a good God is, like Jesus, it might be because you're still convinced deep down that it's just a fool's decision. And if that's the case, all I want to say to you is, when that day comes when you're standing before your maker, it's going to be better to have been a fool in the eyes of the world than to be a fool in the eyes of God. And I pray that in time you'll come to see that living with Jesus, your Lord and God, is the wisest and happiest decision you will ever make. Let me pray.
Father in heaven, please help all of us to acknowledge um, that your, your son, the king you have installed over your kingdom, Jesus Christ, is Lord. He is, is God. I pray that we would submit our lives to him, that there would be no area of our lives um, that we hide from his authority, and that you would bring us all safely into your kingdom. Amen.